Hello, my name is Benjamin Reitzamer and you're listening to the CTO Coffee podcast. Each CTO Coffee episode features a new and special guest with whom I have a relaxed chat about all kinds of different aspects of humans and tech. And today I'm very excited to be speaking to Abadesi Osunsade. We talk about belonging in the workplace and as the CEO and founder of Fuzzle Crew and also the VP of Global Community and Belonging at Brandwatch, Abadesi has loads of insight and experiences to share about this topic. And with that, I give the mic to Abadesi. Please tell the listeners a bit about yourself. Hey everyone, thanks for having me on the podcast today. My name is Abadesi Osinsade. I recently joined Brandwatch as their first ever VP of Global Community and Belonging. And I am also the founder and CEO of Hustle Crew. We are a social enterprise focused on making tech more inclusive. So really happy to be here today and chat all things community and belonging. And we're hiring at Brandwatch, so add me on LinkedIn if you want to know more. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, so when reading about you this morning, I, I really found this um, interesting thing where you said like, yeah, the future of belonging is community. And we already talked a little bit about you, but about this already, but maybe you can again, expand a little bit on that, what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. I think one of the things that we really struggle with in tech is actually conceptualizing the problem of belonging. Um, and belonging relates to so many things. You know, you might be calling it equity in your organization. You might be calling it inclusion. But ultimately, it's it's a notion, a concept based on the research that shows us that for people to really be productive at work and for people to be able to excel in their roles and stay in your company and aspire to greater things in your organization, they have to feel like they belong. They have to feel like they can show up to work or Zoom in the pandemic, be their authentic self and not have to hide any part of their identity, whether that's a disability, having kids at home, uh, you know, being Muslim, being a woman, whatever it might be. They want to be that person all the time at work and feel comfortable and safe that they can be that person, like that person, you know, that they as that person belong, even if you know, the CEO doesn't look like them or relate to them or their line manager doesn't look like them or relate to them. That's still okay. They can be themselves. They belong there. They have equal status in the team. And, and this is where this idea of belonging comes from. This is why it's something that so many companies are putting resources into. They want to make sure that people feel like they belong because they want to make sure people can be super productive. And they also want to make sure that any diversity they have can be retained and hopefully even grow, right? Because then there's all this incredible research that shows that diverse teams outperform less diverse teams in profit, in innovation. And when I said that belonging is, well, when I said that community, is the key to belonging. What I wanted to say was that many of us are failing to conceptualize the challenge of increasing belonging in the sense that we are seeing belonging as a problem for the people who don't belong by default or the people who don't feel like they belong. So if you look at, you know, the his, like historically how tech companies have approached increasing belonging, increasing inclusion, you'll see that people most affected by the problem were given the responsibility of fixing it. So women formed women's groups to address the fact that they were facing sexism. Uh, black employees formed black in X groups to address the fact that people were being racist to them or that some type of systemic racism was holding them back from promotions and pay rises. You know, 
people from the LGBT plus community would form pride groups to address the homophobia and, and transphobia that they were facing in the workplace. You know, where are the gender neutral bathrooms we want? Why aren't people sharing their pronouns? So I guess what, I'm, what I mean is in the past, we didn't really realize how belonging is so much more than just one different individual's experience of the workplace. It's connected to so many things. And I think Black Lives Matter was a real turning point for us to realize this. So I'm talking specifically about Black Lives Matter in 2020, in the summer of 2020, following the tragic murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. What people realized was everyone wanted to know what a company was doing to hold themselves accountable to challenging systemic racism. And it wasn't just the black employees in the company. It was like the allies of those employees of the company. And then it wasn't just the employees. It was like the customers of the company and the shareholders and the investors and the board. Suddenly everyone is turning to the CEO and saying, hey, what are you doing about this? Because we need to have a really positive story about what we are doing with our resources across our community to make sure that the future is a future where everyone feels like they belong. And I think that is a much more effective way to conceptualize the problem. When you want to approach belonging, you have to consider how belonging impacts every group of stakeholders in your community. A really good example of this is, you know, I've been working with folks at Brandwatch recently. We are, of course, a software product. Customers are using our platform to gather data about their consumers. You know, it's consumer intelligence to inform everything from like product development to, you know, market expansion. And, and they say to us, oh, we are now vetting the diversity and inclusion of our suppliers. So, hey, Brandwatch, tell us, you know, how many people are black in your team? How many people come from underrepresented backgrounds at every level of the organization? How much do you invest in diversity and inclusion initiatives, both internally and to external communities every year? So clients now want the receipts and they're kind of like, show us the proof. And I personally think this is a good thing because I think we want all of us to be accountable to creating a better future, right? Unfortunately, this version of capitalism shows us that you can be really commercially successful, but also incredibly unethical. So it's nice that all of these moments in history are making us decide what kind of humans we want to be and what kind of companies we want to be. And we want to be better and we want to be more fair. So that's why I want us to really always try to connect community and belonging and make that just like a philosophy that kind of like echoes throughout the industry. So people always think about that connection. Yeah, so many gems in there already. Thank you. Thank you for that. That, that was amazing. So um, yeah, let me let me try to rephrase that and, and try to just in order to put it into different words. So making the future of belonging community means that, yeah, in order to really solve the the challenge of belonging, we need to bring in like, like lots of different perspectives, not only like the people who maybe want or need more, more belonging, maybe want, want or need more equality at, at the workplace. You said that belonging is also similar to equality or what other people might call equality. So yeah, really bringing in more perspectives and, and what you said sometime earlier also resonated a lot with me is that we put a lot of the, the onus of change, requesting change really on the people with less power usually. So, and by that, like by making belonging like a community thing that, that also like relieves that kind of pressure on, on people with less equality or with less less power sometimes could that could that be also be something that plays in there 
Yeah. So um, the first thing I wanted to say was, I think belonging can be really similar to equity. And I want to just make the distinction between equality and equity because equality, I often think of that graphic. There's like a graphic that says like equality, equity, justice. And it's like people of three different heights um, trying to watch a, a game. So they're, they're, out, they're at an outdoor match trying to watch a game. And uh, the game, unfortunately, is through a wooden fence, right? So you've got, you know, someone in a wheelchair, someone medium height, someone really tall, and they're all trying to look through this wooden fence to see the game. The really tall person can see the game. No one else can see the game, right? So that's that's just like the this how it is. And then someone's like, oh, I know, we'll just give everyone like the same wooden box to stand on. So they give everyone the same wooden box to stand on. So you can move like the wheelchair person to that wooden box. The medium height person can stand on the wooden box. The tall person could already see, but hey, if they want the wooden box too, they can stand on the wooden box. And suddenly you're like, oh, okay, this is, you know, fantastic, everyone can see better. Um, and then I think in the third one, they're like all just looking through a wire fence. So it's like no one had to move. We've just like changed the system. We've like changed how it works. But the reason I wanted to make the distinction between equality and equity is because all of us are navigating the world with different levels of privilege. I have cisgender privilege. So when people guess my pronoun, they guess it correctly. You know, Abba, she is good, blah, blah, blah. I also have able-bodied privilege. I don't really have issues with mobility, accessibility, you know, reading things, processing information online, as well as moving around the world. I also have like heterosexual privilege. So, you know, I have a husband, people expect a woman to be a ma with a man. Unfortunately, in most parts of the world still, I've never had to think about those things when I go on holiday. When we think of equality, we just think everyone needs to have access to the same thing. And that's fair. But what, what we talk about when we talk about equity is like, actually, that's assuming that we have a level playing field. That's assuming that all of our needs are equal and constant. And it's assuming we're all starting from the same point and the same place, right? We're all on the same point at the start line and, we, and we're gonna go on the exact same course to the finish line. And that's not a fair reflection of the world, right? For all of the you know reasons I've just shared beforehand, the way that I show up to an interview is not the same as someone who could be just like me, but in a wheelchair or with some other disability or accessibility issue. So what we do with equity is we acknowledge that because there are different levels of privilege and lived experience, we need to level the playing field. So that's why I think you're going to see a lot of job titles, which are like equity and inclusion. And there's that really important distinction between equality and equity, because equality is what we tried before. And unfortunately, we still got a gender pay gap and a bunch of messed up issues. So now we need to try equity. We need to be like, OK, this is a world where men rule and there are a lot of white people in it. And we need to do something about that because, you know, we need to level it up. And then the second thing I was going to say was like, yeah, I think you're right. The value of taking a community driven approach is that it takes that burden of change away from the people who already have less privilege. Right. So, you, you know, we're talking about people who are the only disabled people on their team. You know, they might be deaf, they might have visibility issues, whatever it is. And now they've been and let's say they've been hired as a as a as a product designer, a, a data analyst. We're now asking them to also help us be less like biased against disabled people. And organizations aren't, aren't really taking into account the extra work that that is, right? Like we're not paying them as a consultant to do it, right? We're just asking them to volunteer their time to make their experience of work better so that they can serve us, the owners of the company, as an employee better. Now that's a bit 
unfair, I think, right? I don't, I don't, I don't think we as a company should be asking people that just so happen to ha need a little extra help to sort that out on their own so that they can do better for us. Uh, and that's why I think that community approach is a lot more important as well. You know, I think now working in the pandemic as lockdown increases across lots of different areas, we have to start thinking about belonging for parents because there are a lot of people doing extra education duties, childcare duties, and they're having to also still do their job, right? In the same confined space. So how, like, what, what do we say to them? Do we say like, well, you chose to have a kid, so your problem, or do we say, hey, what can we do to support you? Can we give you childcare vouchers? Can we do something with the benefits we have and the budget of benefits we have to make it easier for you to go somewhat back to normality because there was a time when you could come into the office and do you know six hours of meetings without also having to switch into nanny mode and kindergarten teacher mode and, and keep these young people entertained so yeah this this is the kind of mindset shift i'm talking about where we start to realize it's a collective and a collaborative effort and the responsibility is shared yeah yeah again makes so much sense so now that you also talked about the difference between equality and equity, and thank you for going into that, um, do, do you see like a difference between equity and belonging? So is belonging again something slightly different in a meaningful way, of course? Yeah, I think the biggest difference between the two of them is that equity can be driven completely by the stakeholders within an organization, right? So for example, I can create an equitable pay structure in my company, let's say theoretically, where I can make it crystal clear that for every level from, I don't know, one to seven, there is this really specific pay band for each of those roles. And you are either a one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. And then depending on that, you're either earning between like XK and that K. And if you want to earn more than that K, you jump up to that. And this is all transparent information. All of us know our levels. We know where we are within those levels. We know if we're on the low end or the high end, and we know what we need to do to get higher salary if we want it. And then we can also make sure that when we advertise a role online, we, sh we share that information and we say, hey, if you wanna come work at company Y, you're gonna either join level one to seven and levels one to seven are paid this, this is a level four role. This is how the maximum you can earn for a level four role. So that's a way that you can kind of like get towards equity because people can start to see like, oh, this is like a really fair and transparent way for me to understand how I'm compensated, but also for me, to change my compensation, right? Because historically, what you find is that men are more likely to negotiate than women. That means that women um, aren't getting paid the same. Or when women do try to negotiate, they're given more reasons for why they're not ready for that yet, whereas like men are not given those reasons. And so you might have in this company, why, with all the pay bans and all the transparency, also a system where you say, you can ask for a pay rise at any time in the year, so it's really clear. Or you can say, you can ask for a pay rise twice a year like during your annual reviews. But either way, you're just like making it super, super accessible for everybody, regardless of how confident they are or how privileged they are to understand how they can earn more money. And that's really nice. The thing about belonging is you can't really control that as a company because belonging is not just a reflection of your processes and your strategies, it's also a reflection of your behavior. And that is really hard because for most of us, by the time we get to adult age, 
our behaviors don't really change. We've already learned to communicate a certain way. We've learned to negotiate a certain way. We've learned to influence a certain way. We've learned to manipulate maybe a certain way. And what we don't realize is that there are certain people because of their lived experience, because of how they feel, because of their different levels of privilege, because of things that they are living with, conditions, experiences, traumas, memory. There are certain people who, when we do our thing at work, we're making them feel uncomfortable. We're making them feel left out. We're making them feel excluded. Hey everyone, I'm gonna organize this social at the bar. Oh, I forgot Fatima doesn't drink. And it doesn't make her comfortable to be around people who are getting drunk because that's not in her culture. Oh, hey everyone, I'm gonna organize a social event. We're gonna go, we're gonna play a game of basketball. Oh, I forgot that James has like a vision problem. Uh, I forgot that Sandra's in a wheelchair. This is not inclusive. So the challenge with belonging is that you can make the most equitable processes across your whole company but if you are still behaving in a way that shows you have not really understood your privilege as well as bias and how that works then you could potentially not score well in terms of belonging like you could potentially survey your employees and feel like do you feel like you belong do you feel like you have a future here do you feel like you are respected here do you feel like people that share your lived experiences are respected in this company. And people might still say no, because you might still be behaving in a way that makes certain groups of people feel like they didn't belong. A really good example of that is, do you talk to one employee different to how you talk to another employee? Another employee? Do you open up with one employee more than you open up with another employee? Are you more reserved or more cold with one employee than another? And if you are, you have to ask yourself why, and you have to ask yourself, is there a difference between those employees? Are they different genders? Are they different ages? Are they different backgrounds? Is there some kind of bias going on where certain people you don't gel with or connect with as much as others? And those are the things you need to address to improve belonging. So that's already going into a very inter interesting direction because my kind of next thought was okay cool easy i understood that <laughs> that's, that's, that's yeah not great and of course that being like almost a euphemism but bear with me here that it's not great to just assume that everybody likes basketball and everybody likes sports or to organize social events around alcohol or drinking or going out or anything so what what is then like a possible next step so are there any concrete measures that that yeah. you come up with um, that you're already implementing maybe even that you can share some experiences around yeah totally so i always encourage people to see things like culture you know you're trying to create a more inclusive culture a culture with more belonging a more diverse inclusive culture whatever those things are like you have to see it as a product that's a, that's a framework uh that we in tech already know we already understand we we know how to build products we know how to build a product roadmap we know how to split tasks across a team set milestones set deadlines we know how to set kpis we know how to like make assumptions validate those assumptions with the data that we measure decide what to keep working on what to abandon what to reiterate all of these frameworks are just as valuable for creating a culture with more belonging or a community with more belonging. And so the first thing I'd say is imagine, right, that this conversation was not about how can I increase belonging, but imagine it was about how can I increase revenue or how can I increase, yeah, subscriptions to my business model? How can I increase enterprise customers? Whatever it is, how can I, how can I reduce customer complaints? What would you do to to understand the next best step, you'd look at the data, wouldn't you, right? Like if I wanted to understand how to gain more customers for my product, 
I talk to my customers. I talk to the people who are already buying my product and I'd say, hey, why do you love my product? And then I would talk to the people that consider buying it, but then didn't buy it in the end and say, hey, why, did, why didn't you buy it? What did you go for instead? And I would collect this data and I'd use this data to try and make my next best move. And I think belonging is exactly the same. If you wanna know how you can be better at belonging, first of all, you need to know how are you doing right now? You need to create an inclusion survey and ask people like, hey, you know, on a scale of one to five or whatever metrics you wanna use, you know, how much do you feel like you can be your full self at work? How much do you feel your voice is heard? How much do you feel your opinion matters in your team, in the company? There's so many cool platforms like Culture Amp that share so many resources on how to do this, tools on how to do this. LinkedIn has tools as well. So yeah, really just kind of like looking to get a baseline of where you are. And from that data, also start to ask people, what do they want? Like, what do you need from us to feel more like you belong? So that's something that, before I joined Brandwatch, actually, the Diversity and Inclusion Committee rolled out a survey to measure demographics. They wanted to know, is our team representative of the cities in which we have offices? You know, so New York is X percent, you know, Black, Indigenous people of color, all these different demographics. How do we compare to that? How do we compare in terms of a gender ratio? How do we have a split of identities across different levels of the business, different departments, different seniorities? And, and once we had that, we can now start to say like, okay, well, what are the industry benchmarks in tech? Oh, so there's 20% women in tech. Are we 20% people in our company? Oh, okay, but there's actually 10% executive leadership who are women in tech and 5% who are black or indigenous people of color. How do we get there? So yeah, we, we're measuring stuff at Brownwatch. That's like always the best place to start. And then we're going straight to our employees and asking them what do you need? And we're empowering them to create safe spaces to have these conversations. We have a pride committee. We have, you know, a diversity and inclusion committee. We want people who have a similar lived experience to reflect on what the company can do to make their experience of work better. That's, yeah, you, you mentioned safe spaces just now. And that's also like a, like a classic thing where one can talk about like at length, I, I guess. How do you how do you go about creating safe spaces and yeah especially around these hard topics let's say it that way yeah I think I always tell people to just like really try to always reflect on on these decisions from a personal experience of feeling excluded or a personal experience of feeling unsafe. So I'm sure everyone who's listening can think of a time where they were going through something in their life. I don't know, maybe it was a breakup. Maybe you're, you know, you're trying this diet. It's not really working for you. Maybe something's happened in your family. It's really bumming you out. Whatever it might be, you're disappointed in yourself. I don't know, something really personal has happened to you. And you want to talk about it. You kind of mull it over. Who should I tell? Okay, I'm just going to tell my friend. Yeah, I'm going to tell him. You know, we're going to go out for a coffee. I'm going to let my friend know. So in your mind, you are thinking or hoping that this is going to be a safe space for you to approach this topic of, oh, yeah, I just had a fight with my mom. We're not talking to each other. I'm really sad, whatever it might be. So now you tell your friend the story and maybe your friend starts laughing at you. Maybe your friend's like, well, you're not talking to your mom. Dude, are you crazy? You're stupid. Just call your freaking mom. Stop being a baby about it sort this out and let's let's move on let's go grab a sandwich i'm hungry and in that moment 
suddenly all the safety is gone, right? You wanted this person to like listen to you, to hear you out. You wanted maybe to, to, to like ask you, why aren't you talking to your mom? Is there something I can help with? Did something happen? Why did you fight? Let's talk about it. And I guess what I'm trying to say is we should always just try and follow our instincts and empathize and have compassion when we are unsure of what to do. We can just put ourselves in another person's shoe and be like, okay, if I was the only trans person on this team trying to have a conversation about why pronouns should be essential in every Slack bio or in every email signature, what would I be thinking? Why would this be important to me? Let me, let me do a bit of research. Let me go online. Let me go on YouTube and see what other trans people are saying about this issue and why it's so important. Let me try to come into this with some cultural context and cultural awareness, because this is something that's clearly serious to this person. And I'm not going to be respectful to their situation if I'm just going to come in and make a ton of assumptions, or I'm just going to come in and you know pretend I know everything, or I'm just going to come in and expect them to do all the work because you know what we're a team. That's that's what would make me feel good. And I think I think sometimes we we let ourselves down a bit because we act like people who are different are like these aliens from another planet. And it's like, oh my God, I want to talk about what it's like to be disabled, but I'm just worried that I'm not going to say the right thing. And it's like, that fear is a fear that comes from privilege because we don't want to be uncomfortable addressing the topic. But the longer we go without addressing the topic, without creating a safe space to talk about it, the longer that person is uncomfortable because they carry the burden alone. So, you know, tips for creating a safe space, just do your research, gain some cultural awareness. You know, if you're listening to this conversation and you're like, wow, that's really interesting. I have not even thought about how we're helping parents who have young kids at home or any kids at home. I need to make sure I'm gonna create a space where they can just talk openly about this. Do a bit of research in advance, see what people are already saying about this, and then think about your behavior. When you create a safe space, that means there's no judgment there. That's what it means. It means that you're not judging people. You're not labeling people. You're letting people share their experience and you are listening with compassion. So that means you can't be defensive. You can't argue. You can't disagree. A safe space is a space kind of like, you know, like Alcoholics Anonymous and all that kind of stuff. It's like, this is not a place for judgment. This is a place for listening and supporting. And that is the key. And there's a big difference between creating a safe space and creating a brainstorming session for how you can do better. You know, there's a big difference between creating a safe space and creating a working group or a task force. And make sure you know the difference between the two and that you're not conflating them. Because before you can start solving, you need to, well, first of all, make sure people are ready to help. And that's sometimes why the safe space is important because people need a space separate to the task at hand, separate to fixing and solving, where they can just release some of the negative emotions that are holding them back from being productive. And I think that's also why it's really important for safe spaces to, if you can, be managed solely by the people who share that lived experience and the people they choose to invite in, right? I'm not going to feel super comfortable if like one of the 50-year-old cisgender white guys on my executive team suddenly says, hey, Abadesi, I've created a safe space for women of color to come and talk about their experience and I'll be leading the first session. No, you know, we're not there yet. We don't have that trust yet. I need to be around people, you know, like me. So I think those would be my my tips for creating a safe space. So one, one thing which really struck a chord with what you said right now was, I'm paraphrasing now from what you said, but like choosing to be comfortable 
is basically a sign of privilege. Like if I can choose to not talk about a topic in order to not feel uncomfortable slash be comfortable, then yeah, that's a sign for me having a certain kind of privilege in a certain area maybe, but yeah. And that's very powerful as a, as a kind of like heuristic, as a sign for yeah getting into some, what you call like self-reflection. Which brings me to another point. In my experience, it's it's also sometimes not not always easy to get people to self-reflect, to have a certain kind of self-awareness about their situation compared to another person's or other people's um, situation. Do you have any like practical tips or experiences to share how to bring other people to make them aware more? Not super aware, but at least a little bit more. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is really productive, and this has worked with me, pick a passion that you have in your life, a, a pastime, a hobby or an interest, and then find people in that space who are different to you. So I really love reading fiction. This is like a real passion and hobby of mine. I'm have my Kindle with me all the time, everywhere I go, literally was in the park with my Kindle before I did this podcast. And one of the things I really wanted to challenge myself to do to understand the experiences of people who are different to me was just read novels written by different people. Because I was like, you know, I hear a lot about Muslim communities in my world and from my friends, but what's it really like? I wanna read a story that's just about people who happen to be Muslim. And I would read some incredible novels about Muslim people. And in the same kind of way, like, yes, I have friends who are gay. Yes, I live in, you know, a city like London, which is, you know, incredibly supportive of the LGBT community, but I'm still not a gay person. I don't know what it's like. So I wanna read stories about about what it's like to be a human who just happens to be gay. And I would read those. What, what about stories about people who just happen to have disabilities but are still living their life? So I think that's a really powerful way to start expanding your perspectives. You don't have to go beyond what you already do. Like, don't start seeing this as like, oh God, it's my homework to be more inclusive. Like, no, just think of your own life. If you're into sports, I don't know what sport you're in. Like, maybe you're into like triathlons or something. Why don't you try and find triathletes who look different to you, who's like a black triathlete, who is a disabled triathlete, who's the world's oldest triathlete, who's the world's youngest triathlete, who are like the triathletes that grew up in the slums of Kenya and are now competing, you know, just expand your horizons that way. And another way that you can do it too is also just through like film and TV. Like, let's face it, a lot of us are sitting on our butts on the sofa right now because there's nothing else to do. One of the things that I really enjoyed, I have this app on my Apple TV called Mubi, and it has films from all around the world. So I can watch films from like, you know, deep Russia or films from like Turkey, the Middle East. I can watch films made by people in Sierra Leone. I can watch films made by Spanish directors. And it's just such a nice way to just see the stories of humanity, life, love, loss, adventure, action through a different cultural lens. So. I really don't think we have to go far. Maybe it's music. Maybe for you, it's music. Why don't you listen to your favorite type of music, hip hop, I don't know, rock and roll, but from a different country, podcasts, again, just by a different type of creator. Go to something that you already like and then just find a different type of person who does that or makes that and engage with that. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. And in that sense, or maybe that's also like a bridge you can build for other people who you yeah, maybe want to encourage to to look beyond the the obvious that's around them all the time at work is maybe like create a 
to stick with your novel example, yeah, create a book club and encourage people to read with you new stuff, other stuff that's different from their lived experiences. That's great. We've been talking already for quite a bit, but I would really like to go back to one more thing that you said earlier, is that a lot of people are failing to conceptualize the challenge of belonging. That's that's really powerful. And back then you said that a sign of that is, for example, that yeah, certain groups of people like Black people are yeah creating or feel the need to create their own spaces like Black people at Twitter, for example, being... I think a pretty prominent group, but so how can, is there a way again, like an example, maybe if you have from your work, how to help people like conceptualizing that challenge, how to bring people to understand there is work to do? Yeah, I think, I think the first thing to do is to cut through the noise of what's happening across the world and across the industry and really think about your team the culture of your company, the values that drive all of your behavior. And think about where you most need support right now in the near term. Because I think a lot of us, uh, this is an analogy I've been using a lot, where we want to be when it comes to belonging and equity and all this kind of stuff, it's like we want to be the Usain Bolt of it, right? Like it's like if this were athletics or, you know, we want to be a gold medal winner on the podium, boom. But you don't, you don't wake up one day and decide that by the end of this quarter, you're going to be competing on the world stage when there are people who've literally spent a lifetime preparing for that moment. I'm talking about decades and decades and decades of work. No, you build a training plan and you commit to that training plan for a really long period of time. And then maybe, just maybe, you might even qualify for a national level, let alone get to the Olympics. So the first thing I want to say is like, you have to be realistic about where you are starting by reflecting on the needs of your team. So in the context of Brandwatch, I'd worked with the company as an outside consultant before I joined and came to be part of the leadership team. It was very apparent to me that across our global team, nearly 500 employees, we weren't even at a place where we could communicate consistently about the issue. We need a shared language to talk about bias, inclusion, privilege, belonging. And this is one of our starting points. This is one of our blocks, you know, our foundation blocks. This is an OKR I'm holding myself accountable to. I want to, through a series of learning and development events and workshops, help our global team find a shared language so that we can communicate about this in a way that's consistent and clear. Of course, it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be less uncomfortable than if we literally didn't even have the same vocabulary to, to work on it with. So this is like an example of how you can be really focused on, on the reality of your team to pick a realistic goal. So as you can see, I'm not challenging us to be the most representative 500 person company in tech, the most inclusive 500 person company in tech, maybe in 10 years. But if I set that up as a goal for my first year of the job, when I've literally been the first person to do this, I'm just gonna set us up for failure. So I wanna pick something that's super realistic. And yeah, when it comes to the diversity of our team, I can challenge us to be more representative next year than we are this year, but I can't still push us to hit some of the industry bests and the industry benchmarks because the people that are at industry best I'm thinking of companies maybe like Airbnb, uh, you know, you mentioned Twitter, Square is another company that comes up. These are companies that have been reporting 
on their diversity and inclusion for five years already plus, whereas we are in year two of reporting. And not only are they, you know, five plus years, some companies like Microsoft, Intel, they already have over a decade of reporting. They're also creating incentives. So they've created performance bonus related incentives to push hiring managers to increase talent. We're not there yet. I can fight for that budget, but we're not there yet. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it's not always about what everyone else is doing. Sometimes it's about what everyone else has done and where you need to start based on where your team is and what your values are and what's realistic for you. What is a realistic success metric for you right now for 2020 for, or for 2021? Don't set a 2031 goal for 2021 because you're just going to discourage everyone and you're not going to get anywhere. Again, so powerful and so true. It really rem reminds me of this circle of influence and circle of control concept is to really be yeah realistic about what you can actually influence and and also but what's missing from that concept is what what you added here is and that's very powerful is to not maybe to be careful at to what you compare yourself to like if you look outside there if you read a lot of blogs or if you um, hang out on Twitter a lot or <laughs> listen to a lot of podcasts then it's it's very easy to get a good picture of some things on so many different not only on the topic of diversity inclusion equity belonging but on so many other things as well and so yeah set realistic examples and not set yourself up for failure too early already so yeah like I said earlier we already talked for quite a bit do you want to share anything more with the listeners yeah well thanks so much um for having me I mean I could talk about this stuff all day which is why I do this for a living but I I hope everyone feels inspired to make change and you know, no change is too small. At least you're doing something. If you are interested in finding out more, just add me on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to connect and tell you in more details about some of the initiatives that I am running at Brandwatch to make our culture more inclusive and increase diversity throughout our global teams. We're also hiring, so please check us out, brandwatch.com slash careers. And then the final thing I'd say is, you know, if you are an underrepresented, individual in the tech industry and you're looking for a community that you can relate to, who can support you, give you content to help you navigate the unique challenges you face, please check out Hustle Crew. We've been around since 2016 and this is what we do. We just help people who don't feel reflected by the status quo stay in the game and keep rising. So you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Hustle Crew Live. Thank you so much, Abadesi. That was a really, really inspiring conversation for me. And yeah, have a great day and see you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to know more about the podcast, have any question or feedback, visit the show's website at cto.coffee or tweet me at Benjamin.